0: Hi and welcome to Dynamics Update. And uh, with me, as usual, I have Gustav Sundblad. Hello, Gustav. Hello, everyone But we're not alone. We have <laughs> no, <another> we're not. <laughs> person here. We have a guest. Um, the guest today is is uh, Alex My- Mayer. Hey, hey, Alex.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Uh, we're doing fine.
1: We're doing we're fine. We're
0: very happy to have you here as a guest. So that's that's good. So uh, could, could you start a bit about telling us who you are and what you do for a living and so on?
1: Absolutely. Um, so thanks for having me today. Uh, my name is Alex Meyer. I work for a company called FastPath, uh, located in the United States. Um, we do security audit and compliance reporting across a number of different ERP and CRM systems. Uh, my focus area has been in the Microsoft space, uh, specifically the business applications uh, space, um, being able to help with, you know, uh, helping customers meet their different auditory uh, requirements, whether that's, um, you know, uh, SOX compliance or Surveillance Oxley in the United States, GDPR, JSOX, um, whatever that uh, requirement may be. Um, and so that's kind of where uh, we step in and help those customers meet those needs. Pretty
2: cool. So do you have a background in dynamics specifically or Microsoft or I mean we're, are you coming from the security area or are you coming from the ERP area? Um, I mean going into Fastpath?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess you know we I, I started off in the Ax and FNO space and kind of mm-hmm. spread out from there um, and went through the other dynamics products, both on-prem and in the cloud when they uh, made that switch. And then moving into also things like Azure portal, Azure DevOps, Mm. um, Azure AD, and kind of covering the entire or trying to cover the entire Microsoft ecosystem. Um, Obviously Mm. that's quite large, Uh, but trying to being able to um, do that type of uh, security reporting across those different areas.
2: All right, pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting because of the security, uh, the differences, the security. I mean, approach has been a lot different. If you look at the older versions of AX, and nowadays, right. of course, cloud. Uh, there was a, like a big difference between a, a functional consultant working with ERP, um, and the only guy or girl who knew about the security it was like the infra uh, resource that installed the system. They had to know about Kerberos, and then. If you look at a lot, a majority of the on-prem installations um, for back then, uh, a lot of people were admin basically when it came to that that kind of like division of responsibility. Uh, and then we're not even talking about like the real um, MT security and nowadays. Uh, and I think you were into that before the call as well. You on the the relationship between the like security and license. So it's a whole different ball game, right? And then now I haven't even mentioned like like you brought up here the whole compliance part where you have to be like regulatory compliance also another it's a very it quickly becomes very complicated so I I understand there is a need for um, a better understanding we I used to have a guy he was working solely with explaining the Microsoft license model. Uh, that was like his sole responsibility. and it was a full-time job. just, just to understand that, that like the jungle of licensing, uh, and nowadays when licensing is connected to security, it becomes even more complicated as one, but also like important. It's critical. You have to you have to work with it, right?
0: I actually had a, a friend of mine who is on one of my other podcasts who said the other day that uh, working with licenses is, is, is a good thing because you're always the smartest person in the room because no one else <laughs> wants to even try to understand them.
2: No, exactly. That's that's really true.
0: So, so um, yeah, So, so, I mean, one of the interesting parts here as well is that before, as long as the user needed, like, a full operations license... Then you were fine. You could give them admin, and it didn't really matter. But but uh, I'm guessing that that uh, you're working a lot right now with with uh, since Microsoft broke apart the licensing, and all of a sudden you need to figure out if they ne- actually need that retail license or if they just need like the finance license.
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, going back to like AX 2012 um, and initially the first part of uh, when um, FNO uh, went live, right? The only licensing model was the uh, entry point based licensing, right? Which basically boiled down to what access did you have to menu items in the system? And each menu item then had a view user license and a maintain user license parameter on the menu item itself, right? And you basically look to say what access does user have? And then based on the menu items they had, right, that dictated your licensing. Um, And then uh, in October of 2019, Microsoft decided they were going to split out the operations level or the enterprise level license in um, F&O and basically require you to say which pieces of the application you're actually going to be utilizing. And the way they did that was they dedicated certain privileges in the system to require or... Uh, either require or needed to be a part of the user licensing um, Based on the privileges that user was assigned, right? So not only did you have the entry point based licensing um, Still in effect. You also then have your privilege based licensing to determine which licenses um, That you needed at the operations level, right? So you got to kind of combine these two methodologies now to say what this user actually needs um, so that's that's been the um you know obviously been difficult for especially for users that are if you're coming into the system brand new after that it's not as big of a deal but if you're upgrading from or going through a renewal period right from um initial um if you implemented prior to october 2019 and you had the old licenses and now you're implementing this new or uh up going through your renewal right then it becomes a little bit harder of a task to uh to actually um perform
2: yeah it becomes i think i understand it completely and i think a lot of people if you understand these things from a complex level that's one thing but normally a lot of people going into these products it's like a number of 365 fno products i've been in it's like somewhere in the middle of the project someone brings up uh, we need to discuss licenses because we need to fill in this like this <laughs> a lot of the, these things you need to think about them going in uh, right. with the 365 connection you need to have this tenant discussion you need to understand how this works of course and i've been in a number of projects before where well it's like we need to fill in this like template of um, how many people are working and it becomes like a two-hour workshop where you're gonna like do a subset of every entire process across the organization how do they work um yeah it's it's too complicated. Complicated to do that. So, um, pro tip is to kind of see, try to analyze it as early as possible and have it as a moving target because it is what it is.
0: Right. And I, I mean, one of the things that that I think has saved people for a re- really, really long time is that Microsoft is not really enforcing the licenses. So yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't Good. really. It doesn't really matter in the in this system. If you have the correct licensing. I mean, you're still liable if if you get an audit and so on. But it doesn't really matter functionally if you have the correct license or not. And I know that when they split the licenses apart into three, they were discussing actually infor- starting to enforce, at least in the UI, only showing you the, the parts that you had access to just a question do do you think they will ever dare to fully enforce the licensing uh that's
1: a that's a loaded question um no I, i you know that is their their dream right that's what they want to get to because they're they're able to do that in a lot of the other dynamics products whether it's um or even outside of dynamics the power platform for example right um CE, right? They're, they're able to do that. Um, the biggest thing that they are running into with FNO is that there's so many edge cases and complexities to it that it's very hard to report on and be able to say, this is why, or, you know, here are the licenses you, this user requires, and here's why, um, you know, and they're, they're having a lot of difficulty getting down to that um, level of detail. And, um, and, and so I think eventually they'll put in some sort of enforcement. I don't know if it's going to go as far as um, what they initially had planned, but I, I think there'll be some enforcement of some kind.
2: Yeah, but I'm also from like a customer satisfaction level. I think I, I think it's a hard sell to like hard enable those things because the majority of at least FNO customers. They are already very heavily invested into Microsoft products, right? They they run a number of different products, and then the, the, I I don't think it's that normal. At least not in w- where we work. Um, that people try to kind of avoid licensing. Everyone wants to be compliant. Is my experience that no one wants this like um, silent or sleeping danger that it is. Where you like in a year's time you think you're safe, but then someone comes with an audit. No one wants that. So any any um sustainable company organization wants to of course know are we doing the right thing here so i think uh, if you have a if you have a way to kind of bring up a report saying okay yes we are compliant then i think that's good enough so I, I, don't, I don't think personally they will enable, they will enforce it anytime soon, at least, because it's not in their interest. And I, I, I don't know any statistics on this, but I don't think many people are, are trying to cheat. <laughs> so if you get help to, to kind of avoid cheating, then I think that's good enough. At least I hope, because it will become a nightmare, I think, to be heavily yeah. enforced there.
0: Yeah, and, and also, I mean, one of the issues with with enforcing the licenses today is that there are a lot of, as you said, edge cases and, and overlaps. So there are some features which, I mean, even a, even a finance user does ne- sometimes need to use retail features. And especially between retail and, and supply chain, there are a lot of like gray areas where you have features which would... Uh, GREATLY improve using it in the other area, but they does not really belong and, and so on. And also, I, th- I mean, one of the things here is that the more of a, a SaaS service FNO becomes, the easier it is for Microsoft to actually review your licenses because they will have, they will ha- probably have an API, API into the system that can actually let them know. What, How you're working and what licenses you have. I mean, they already have the, the reports today. So making the reports available and, and uh, automatically sending an email to the CFO or something like that saying that you are not really compliant. You should probably look into this.
2: Yeah. But I mean, tell, tell us a little bit about FastPath as a product. I mean, what, what do you guys, uh, you provide material, right? Make it easier to understand how this works. Isn't that the case, right? Because as FastPath, like, do you go in as an ISV within FNO as well, or is it kind of out, outside? How does it work?
1: Yeah, so we, we go, uh, we have a couple different product offerings. Um, specifically around, um, we have what we call our access risk monitor, which goes in um, first off and pulls all your security, Um and whether it's custom, out-of-the-box, third-party, right, um, and being able to uh, give user, uh, user and role access reports mm-hmm. um, and then looking at it from a segregation of duties perspective, right? So we have an out-of-the-box rule set that we deliver, um, and then you can run, like, segregation of duties reports from there. Along with mm-hmm. that, though, we do a number of licensing reports, um, and the licensing reports are going to be based at a user role, duty, and privilege level, giving you the detail to say this user is assigned this role, this duty and this privilege, and that's why they require these licenses, right? So we take the user license estimator report that Microsoft gives, and we give you all the detail behind it to actually make smart business decisions on where, um, mm. you know, you could maybe, you know, look and uh, save money uh, from that perspective. And so that's actually, that piece of it is actually used by a number of uh, of our customers to save hundreds of thousands of dollars in licensing um, uh, just by using that piece. So, um you know that that's one piece we also have like an audit trail module that would be um the the uh similar to like your database log to help Mm. with tracking changes that users are making in the system we have an identity manager tool that does you know uh compliant user provisioning so being able to look at the risk that you're if you want to go in and make a change to a user role assignment right being able to see the risk that that's going to introduce into your system before you actually assign it and then uh, the last piece would be security designer, where we're actually allowing you to, again, set up your security outside of FNO, look at the risk and the licensing impact of those changes to security, and then publish those changes into FNO.
2: Yeah. Cool. And I, I'm just, a, as you mentioned a little bit, I think a guess would be the majority of customers, they struggle with that whole license thing, the license cost and how you really like connect to each license. Even though the license model has been simplified, sure. <laughs> it's still a real nightmare to kind of fit the, the your organizational model into that and, and yep. output the cost, specifically if you're coming from 2012. Uh, from a sales perspective it's been like a nightmare to to kind of explain how why it's become much more expensive uh, if you kind of like try to just take whatever you have and put it into cloud you have to adapt to it and and doing it i think there are a number of excel sheets out there that are trying to make make use of it so i think i would i understand uh why people need help doing that to be and it's also a very good investment too uh, because you can save money if you kind of I was one example I had where just by tweaking their business process a little bit, um, not everyone at the AP department did, needed admin access. You could right. kind of just tweak it a little bit, and they saved a lot of money on that because you only needed to have like two operational operations licenses, and like, the rest could be like team. So um, just doing that analysis and investing some time into it is worth a lot um, in 365 as well. I, I would imagine in other Dynamics products as well, but uh, specifically F&O here.
1: Right. Yep, absolutely.
0: Yeah, so one thing I I actually think is a bit tricky as well is that uh in the licensing guide for a long time they have been Microsoft has been discussing uh something called multiplexing which actually means <laughs> yeah. that you're using the system but from outside of the system not yeah. not within the actual client and and the, the theory has been that if you're using it outside, then you still need the license. So if you're accessing a table in, in FNO, but from, say, CRM or something, you mm. still need, need the FNO license. But on the other hand, I mean, one thing that I think is a bit tricky now is that if you look at Dataverse, for instance, that that is, that is multiplexing on steroids.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's always been a, you know, a a sticky point because anytime you're integrating with the FNO data, like you mentioned, Microsoft thinks that you should be, uh, their licensing guide says that you should have to, um, if there's any automated piece, as far as you accessing that data, right. um, That you need to be paying the, for that particular license. But now that everything you have, you know, uh, dual right, you have uh, you know like you said dataverse, data lake, right all these areas where you're just dumping F o data out and it's like what, what what's the license uh, impact of all of yeah, this? Exactly. And I don't think Microsoft has a great answer for that either um, in in that regard.
2: No, they're like super invented right now. There's a lot of things like popping up and coming out, a lot of different, uh, very, very cool stuff. It's uh, it's really cool. Not everything is like solid and flies like long term, uh, but you have a lot of these like the inventory visibility app is one we discussed previously. Um, all of these like microservices or subset of features that, like you say, they access FNO data. Like the visibility app is like um, low level SQL replication. Mm-hmm how are you licensing that? It's part of, the, part of the license, sure, but then you're also utilizing a lot of other Azure functionality with APIs and the Dataverse um, connections. So... Um, that whole like um, smorgasbord of of different applications or components um, makes the licensing story uh, more complicated, uh, and specifically the security story as well. It's like you might have a perfectly working compliance setup in FNO, but if you push all your data out of the dataverse, and there you have like a, a different security model uh, coming at the same data. So. Yeah. Um, again you need to apply the same set of like strict rules here and inheritance in a number of different different applications so you're not a dataverse expert if you're a fno expert that doesn't automatically happen
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah that's uh that's something that we bring up um my colleague of mine and myself do a number of uh sessions um and we talk about the rings of security right and that's one of the you know if you're just looking at dynamics by yourself, right, and you're not looking around it as well, so all the connected systems and looking at where that data lives there as well, you know, you're missing that piece um, uh, that, uh, you know, that you also need to secure uh, there as well. Hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people struggle there, I think. You want. what's your take on that one? Do we just implement, um, um, like... What what do we do? We we make everyone change their password as often as possible, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, actually not. That's that's uh, that's old news. You can't do that anymore? <laughs> just okay. kidding. So, uh, but I I actually have one question. So I know that you are a bit partial in this since your work where you work. But if we just uh, if we if we look at the world from a perspective where your application wasn't available. So, uh we we have a customer that is not using FastPath. We are we have a customer that is going with out of the box things. Um because I I have very uh I'm I'm from a an infrastructure perspective. So so I'm trying to figure out the way to have the least maintenance and the least ways where things can go wrong and so on. So Who I've doesn't? been discussing with <laughs> with my customers and especially with Gustav and I, I we are not really in in um in agreement here, but <laughs> uh, if, if we look at the customer who is implementing FNO and uh, there are a lot of, of uh, default security roles within the application. So if we, uh, how should a customer think? Because I started thinking that we should try to use the default roles from a perspective that that of course we would probably need to tweak them but we would like we would need to tr- we should probably tweak them outside of the role in itself we should try to use the role as as vanilla as possible and then we should add an add-on role so if we have like a, something called employee and we have a, a, the company's customer x then we should probably have a role called customer x employee which is the delta between what microsoft delivers and what what we want to a user to have. And my, my reasoning for this is that since we are upgrading every single month and we probably don't want to do a complete security uh, walkthrough uh, on every single thing uh, maybe we should use the default role because the default role will follow the upgrades and the features and so mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And we don't need to do manual work for every single feature adapting our own roles. And I know that that Gustav has argued the other way around that we should probably have like a a customer defined role for every single uh, role that we're using. And we shouldn't use the Microsoft roles at all because they tend to change and we don't want that. Well, that was a very uh, just
2: to defend myself here. I haven't actually said it that rigid. Uh, I th- still things say go with standard, but uh, I don't even remember this discussion to be honest. But uh, I just know for a fact that uh, using custom roles for the for my previous implementation uh, has had more success. But that was like things are changing yeah. and standard becomes better.
0: Gustav, you shouldn't let fact get into in the way of a good story. If no, true. <laughs> true. You're <laughs> ruining
1: my story here. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, you know, there's, it's really going to boil down to, and I'm going to come at this from a security audit and compliance standpoint. Um, but it's really going to come down to the risk appetite of the customer because we have some customers that are, to the point where they have to know exactly what this rule has they have to know exactly what their roles have access to because they have to have sign off from their internal external auditors and um, whether they're government agencies or healthcare is another big one that we see this right and they don't want that role to change from version to version and in that case then right going custom roles makes sense because then that's uh, making sure that you know exactly what's in there um, on the other hand you have Customers that are wanting to use the latest and greatest and wanting to, um, you know, always be on the cutting edge and, and, and that sort of thing. And in that case, then, um, you know, you could use the, the out of the box plus your Delta, um, uh, you know version of that. Um, the one thing, in and I just to point out in FNO that makes that slightly easier is that you all, you have the um obviously you can assign multiple roles to the user, but your roles can have that explicit deny. So if there's something in the out of the box role that you want to hide or disable uh from the user, right, you can use that explicit deny to actually um make in sure add on exactly, yeah, yeah, in your add on. Uh, from that side of things, so um, I think it really, yeah, like I said, it boils down to what your um, user needs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what what your or customer needs, the client right. needs. What, it's what always their...
2: the same, I, I think that uh, that's perfectly true. And I think one thing here, a lot of people, when you you need to implement the test test cases here, of course, but you need to also make sure that you test on these roles because as long as you do that. Then basically the risk is, um, as you say, how how compliant do you want to be here, and how much like how granular do you want to be in your security? Because uh, the test overhead that comes with cloud and the the evergreen um, and the whole like monthly updates test overhead that comes with that, and then you add on top the security role maintenance overhead on that. Um, It becomes like the maintenance story becomes not necessarily bad, but it becomes more complicated. So if if that's what you need, just bring that into your calculation of of like your maintenance cost here, then it's fine. Uh, But just don't forget about the testing of the testing the system within those roles, because then you're in for a real fun ride where everything (laughs) stops working.
0: Yeah and I I mean of course I understand that if you if you have certain regulatory compliance and and you have auditors and so on which is not like external ones then of course that that's a different uh, take on it as well but uh, yeah so I because I just wanted to to see your your view on there because I I think it's it's important because it, it is a lot of of it it consumes a lot of time to review the security roles and verify that that you don't have access where you shouldn't have access and so on.
2: Yeah, but it, it kind of boils into your your reasoning here. You want that uh, that the, the auditing story is super complicated, right? You have GDPR as one thing. That's why, but the auditory story is different for each like region as well. And uh, from where I come from, I'm a previous developer, right, developer, but I come from that background where you kind of you see a lot of cost clients previously struggle with. They need to both like Understand this super complicated auditory like um, rule set, um, and they also need to translate that somehow into how we can access the system. So that book p- puts all the effort on the client, both from like competence level, and then you need to translate it into a developer, and that poor developer has to build a rigid role that complies with this document. A lot of like unnecessary steps here with the evergreen model, where Microsoft is clearly stating, yes, we are compliant with regulatory demands in this and this in this market. Um, then you can argue that you still need to kind of understand what rules are coming in, but you could still argue that it's Microsoft's responsibility here to come with uh, like a, a role that is compliant um, in many yeah, cases. But, but that's just for security, right?
0: Absolutely. But one important part here when it comes to regula- regulations, and I know that you and me have discussed this, Alex, in, in <laughs> other thread as, uh, elsewhere, that, that most of these roles are not uh, one-sided, they are often uh, something that the customer needs to do as well. There is a checklist for the customer as well, so you can't just click on it. But I, I would say that one of the important parts with the Evergreen model, and when it comes to security, is that before uh, the, the user and the company could actually just have someone set it up for you and then you were done and then you didn't change anything. Now, you either you you have a... a a consultant firm that comes in every single upgrade and goes through every every single uh, security uh, setting. Or you actually do need to understand what it is you give people access to. And I think that's a big important part as well. Because uh, be- before you didn't have to understand it. You could just uh, pin on a role to someone and then you were done.
2: Yeah. And again, from a, the developer and technical perspective here, when, that was a big shift for me coming from like AX 2009, 2012 and, and to, to cloud or to this, the menu item, the the entry points where if you develop something poorly, you increase the cost for the customer, not only for the maintenance, because you, you use functionality that is attached to a higher cost. That was a big mind, like mental shift for a lot of people going in. Broadcasting 2012, basically you could build anything you want it's because everyone was either admin or it didn't really matter, right? But here, if you build it, so because if you build it poorly and you utilize a lot of like, oh here's some nice piece of code, I'm gonna use that. But if you do that, you kind of go outside and you go outside your bounds of that particular person's role it becomes a higher cost if you are then auditor of course but you still you want to be compliant so that's another thing to bear in mind here make sure you understand the license model connected to the security model and how people actually work with the system and the best quote I ever heard of on this it's not mine Uh, it's a previous like technical trainer is that don't fight the system work with the system understand how it works and try to work with it and don't like build things that works against how the system is designed try to always work with it or just adapt your process to it as much as much as you can because that's how you really save money and effort um, using. using it. it's never been more true i think than in, in the evergreen and the cloud model it was true in 2012 as well of course but it was more true here <laughs>
0: Yeah and I, and I mean uh, don't uh, work against the system. I I I that's why I always try to tell people when it comes to like Microsoft's best practices. If Microsoft thinks that you should do things in a certain way, mm-hmm. I mean you should probably do it in that way. Otherwise you you're fighting an uphill <laughs> battle every yeah. single time, especially when you call support because the first question you will get is why did you do this?
2: <laughs> because, yeah, because
0: but we told you not to. Yeah,
2: but exactly. But okay. you told us the, that's that's the thing, right? That's the key. You need to understand how the system is designed or how how Microsoft thinks it's going to go, and especially now the roadmap. And I think the systems or tools like FastPath and other like helpful guides guidance here makes it easier for clients to adapt so a lot of a lot of things comes there as well either you have a lot of good people working with you you could do that as well but you always have a need for good tools or good like uh, explanations how does the system work otherwise you put a lot of effort on your your own team to kind of be be the experts in everything including regulatory compliance which is not always the case it's kind of the least knowledgeable area i think (laughs) many projects It comes in last at least. Are we compliant? (laughs) Uh, Yes, okay. Let's go live
0: tomorrow. Have someone checked the security rules oh, okay. <laughs> exactly no, we didn't damn uh, yeah i I try to
2: avoid i mean I'm always in those workshops, but I try to avoid those like the plague like okay, now we're going to have a like, user mappings workshop here, oh no, <laughs> so, how many accounts payable clerks do we have? What's an accounts payable clerk? Oh, okay, let's start there <laughs> so, sort of those are, but it is fun because then you you get in the end you get like like a good output out, out of it, and it's never. 100 accurate anyway Uh, so you still need to and i think that's the key like you said as well before previously it was like install and forget the only thing the only the only time you had an issue in 2012 was when you tried to start it or log in and you got like the limit because you actually hit the limit of users in your license that was like the only time now you really need to to do a review and audit, um, uh, not only to stay compliant, of course, but also to kind of, okay, what are we doing? We're buying this company in like a year or we're trying to implement them to stay ahead uh, and to, to inform Microsoft that this is happening, et cetera. So you need to bear that in mind as well, not only from compliance perspective, but from performance perspective as well to make sure that everyone is using the system the correct way.
0: All right, uh, I think we've actually hit our our sort of uh, arbitrary time <laughs> limit. limit here, <laughs> so uh, we would like to thank you a lot for for uh, coming on the podcast with absolutely. us because it's it's been really interesting to talk to someone who who does this for a living. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
1: Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's uh, been been fun to to chat, and I always like chatting about security and compliance. I know that's not normally <laughs> a uh, fun topic in licensing, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I like to talk about it. So I'm happy to be happy to come on.
2: It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
2: Have a nice evening. Thank you. Bye bye.